Hey, good morning. My name is Matt Nelson. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning at Stonebridge. And I want to remind you that no matter where you are coming from, no matter where you're watching from, that our God is able to be known by us this morning and that we are able to connect with him. And so I wanted to give you a couple of different ways that you can be able to connect in this morning, both with God and in our community. First, if you would like us to pray for anything going on in your life, we would love to be praying alongside you. And so in the comments, you'll see a link to our prayer card, uh, and that'll take you directly uh, to a spot where you can fill out just what you would like us to be praying alongside you for, and we'll reach out to you and be praying with you in the next day or two. The second is a list of our small groups, and so if you found yourself needing more community, needing more people, and uh, people to encourage and support and to challenge you in this time, I want to direct you to that link as well, and that'll show you all of our small groups um, and especially if you are not able to meet with other people in this time, there are four small groups that are just meeting online that I want to draw your attention to I think you'd be interested in. All right, we're so glad that you are here this morning. Let's go ahead and join in the service. Morning. Glad you guys are here. Thank you all for uh, joining us in person. And for those of you that are watching live, we appreciate you all being here with us as well. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. So the returnees were negligent for 16 years, and now they've begun to rebuild the temple. And God sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, both those guys, to encourage the people along the way. So last week we looked at Haggai's second message, which was continue to work even if you're feeling uh, discouraged. If you're discouraged because of some local hostility, uh, some guys that are uh, giving you a hard time, or if you're discouraged because what you're building doesn't really look that great compared to what used to be there. That was particularly for the older crowd who had seen Solomon's temple. What is being rebuilt is just not as impressive. And Haggai saying, don't worry about that. Don't let the externals discourage you. You just keep being obedient. And God actually promised to make this second temple more glorious than uh, the first temple that was built. And then Zechariah comes along just a couple of weeks after Haggai to remind the people of the importance of reconnecting with God. He says, return to the Lord. It's not enough just to start this work of rebuilding the temple. You need to acknowledge that for 16 years, you've been disobedient. For 16 years, you've been living in sin and you need to return to the Lord with your heart. You need to reconnect with him relationally. Uh, what we're going to look at today are Haggai's final two messages. So on the 24th day of the ninth month, this is verse 10, in the second year of Darius. So this is December 18th of 520 BC. December 18th, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and the fold touches some other bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest said, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, one of those types of food, does, that become, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there that is at the altar is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. 
I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple is laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. So Haggai goes to the priests. Part of their job would be to help people understand the law. And he presents them with uh, two hypothetical situations that God gave to him. And they have to do with the, the, trans, the transferability the, of holiness and defilement. So the first one is about holiness. So uh, if you brought a sacrifice to the altar, that meat or that animal that was then killed and put on the altar became holy because it was dedicated to the Lord. And there were certain offerings that you would be, you'd be allowed to get some of the meat. There were some offerings that were completely consumed, but there were other offerings where God would get a portion, the priest would get a portion, and then the giver would get a portion back. And so Haggai says, so let's say that that's what's happening. You've brought Jimmy and Jennifer, have taken their cow to, their, to, to the altar, and they've sacrificed it, and they're walking back with some of it. And that meat is now holy because it's been dedicated to the Lord. Jimmy doesn't have any pockets. He's got a robe on. And so he puts the meat in the fold of his robe. And so that, that part of his robe that's touched this meat is now holy as well. The meat was holy. It touched this little part of his robe. Now that part of his robe is holy. So later on, he wants to have a snack and he gets some bread and whatever. And he puts that in this fold of his robe. Is that regular food now holy? And the priests say, no, it's not. And without getting into Leviticus, you can take my word for it. They're right. Or you can go and study Leviticus, whichever one you prefer on your Sunday afternoon. So they're right. They make the right determination. Holiness is transferred only by direct contact from A, the holy object, to B, what that holy object touches. It is not transferred from B to C. A to B, yes, B to C, no. And then Haggai gives them another hypothetical. Dead bodies are defiled, they're unclean. If a person touches a dead body, then they become unclean as well. And so Haggai wants to know, well, what about what those people touch? So if June touches a dead body, then June's unclean. And so what about everything else that June touches? Does it then become unclean as well? And the priests, again, this is correct, according to Leviticus, they answer yes. Everything June touches then becomes unclean. Uh, defilement or uncleanness, whatever word you want to use, that is transferred indirectly. So A, the dead body is unclean. June touches it. She becomes unclean. Then everything that she touches from there on out until she's cleansed becomes defiled as well. And then the point, like that's just a hypothetical academic exercise until Haggai says, that's been y'all's problem. For the past however many years it's been, if it's been five or 10 or 15, I don't know at what point God began to judge the Israelites for their negligence in building the temple. It had been 16 years since they had uh, been back in the land. So they'd been disobedient for 16 years. I don't know at what point God began to judge them for that. A couple of years, five years, 10 years, I don't know. But what, what Haggai is saying for that time period, this has been your issue. You're unclean because of your negligence, because of your sin, because of your disobedience. And so everything that you've touched, imagine you're a farmer, so that really speaks to the work of your hands. 
All of that stuff is unclean. And everything you're bringing to the altar, every sacrifice you're making, those are things, they're, they're all defiled as well. They're not acceptable to the Lord. They're not pleasing because you've been disobedient. Everything that you're touching is defiled as well. And we saw that in chapter one where Haggai comes to them and says, listen, y'all been living in this season of futility. Again, we're not sure how long that stretches. God sent a drought and it was a severe drought. And, and the people's, their, their life was you planted a lot and you reaped a little. You ate, but you were never satisfied. You drank, but uh, you never quenched your thirst. You had clothes and you wore them, but they didn't keep you warm. Your, your money didn't go as far as it used to go because of inflation. You had all of the, it, again, it was, a, it was a life marked by futility. And now we see some more specifics about how severe this drought was. You go to the barn to, to get 20 measures of wheat and you only get 10, just 50%. You go to the vat to get 50 measures of wine, you only get 20, only 40%. Severe, significant drought. And now we see God didn't just send a drought. He sent hail and mildew and blight. None of those things are good if you're a farmer. All bad. And what God is saying is I did all of that to get y'all to come back to me. It didn't work, but that's what I was doing. You were living through this season of futility because you were disobedient in this one area. You were not rebuilding the temple. And that spilled over into every other area of your life. And then Haggai says, God through Haggai says, so I want you to pay attention, December 18th. As you look back and you think about from the day you started rebuilding the temple on September 21st, you think before that, for the, the three years or the five years or the 10 years, however long it was, I want you to think about that season of your life marked by futility, recognizing why that is, because you were disobedient. And now I want you to look forward. I want you to begin to pay attention because it's going to be really different moving forward. Because you've begun to rebuild the temple, then I think because they heeded Zechariah's message, because they actually did return to the Lord. That message was given in November, and I think they responded. And I think that's why Haggai's coming along in December, on December 18th, is because the people did repent. They did recommit their lives to the Lord. I think because of both of those things, that inward repentance and that outward expression of obedience, rebuilding the temple, I think what God is saying is it's about to be a new day for y'all. It's about to be a new season. I'm going to bless you. Just like that your, your defilement spilled over into every area of life, now your obedience is going to spill over into every area of life. You don't have any seed in the barn yet. There's no extra, but it's coming. And all of these trees and all of these vines, they're all going to produce fruit as well. It's going to be a new day. I'm going to bless you. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is it makes our relationship with God so concrete and earthy. It, sometimes in the New Testament, it can be easy to get kind of in your head. The Old Testament doesn't let us do that. Everything is very tangible. The, the word covenant really is just a, it's a word for the terms of a relationship. We live under a different covenant than the Israelites. We live under the new covenant. They lived under the old covenant. So there's some things that apply to them that don't apply to us. So we don't have to worry about whether food is clean or unclean or whether your clothes are made from two different types of material. Those rules don't apply to us anymore. But a lot about their relationship with God is paralleled in our relationship with him. For us, under the new covenant, we're saved by grace through faith. So God adopts us into his family. 
because he loves us, and he loves us because he is love. He doesn't love us because we're cute or because we're adorable or because we're humble or because we're righteous. We're none of those things. He loves us because he's love, and it's the nature of love to express itself. So God adopts us into his family because he loves us, and he loves us because he's love. Our salvation is rooted in his activity on our behalf. We're saved into relationship. You are not saved for a destination, heaven, that you will uh, reach when you die. You are saved for a relationship that is both current and future with Jesus. That's what we're saved for. That's what we're saved into. And that relationship, God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty has said, I'm going to enter into this relationship with you. And it's a real relationship. It's not pretend. It's not artificial. And he said, just like every other relationship that you're in, what you do, us puny people, what we do impacts him because he's chosen to allow it to impact him. And he said, and I'm going to respond to you. You're going to respond to me. I'm going to respond to you. What you do impacts me and what I do. And we see that in Haggai. The people are disobedient. So God sends a drought and then he sends hail and then he sends blight and then he sends mildew. And then the people repent. And God says, I'm going to bless you. God is responding to the actions, the behaviors of his people. I don't know how that makes you feel. My, my hope is it is encouraging to you. The relationship that, that you're in with the Lord is a real relationship. It's, it's genuine. It's It's not artificial or pretend. And he does respond to what you do. I don't want you to hear that as intimidation at all. It's just the reality of the way God set up the covenant, the terms of the relationship that we have. He could have done something different, but that's what he did. We see that there in Haggai. We're great compartmentalizers, and we are great justifiers. And Haggai says, don't do that. Don't do either one of those things. That's what the returnees did for 16 years. They justified not rebuilding the temple. They justified their disobedience. It's really not a good time. They were rebuilding their own houses, but for whatever reason, they decided it wasn't a good time to build God's back. And I'm sure they had reasons for that. And if you asked them, they would have listed them off. Here's all the reasons why it's a bad time. We're getting opposition from the people, or it's a bad year for wood, and we want to give God the best wood, or, you know, our, our quarry guys, they've got corona, and they can't get out there and work. Whatever it is, I don't know. They got reasons to justify why they're not rebuilding the temple. And they think, well, it's, that's just this one area of their life. And what Haggai saying is, no. The consequences of your disobedience I don't know if we can say the word punishment. Maybe we'll say the word discipline. I don't know if that's okay. Either one of those. It spills over into every area of their life. It's not confined just to this one area. And the same thing is true for us. We're great at justifying. And we live under the lie that we can compartmentalize. Disobedience in this one area of my life, it only affects this one area. Those of you who've either struggled with alcohol or love someone who has, super easy example. Alcohol, the the problems with alcohol are not confined to a bar. We all know that. They spill over into your family. They spill over into your job, your finances, your health. They're not confined to a bar. And the same thing is true with every area of sin in our life. It's not confined to just that area. It spills over. It's a lie that we can contain and we can compartmentalize. And we see that here in Haggai. God responds 
to the behavior of his people. And his response impacts all of somebody's life, not just this one little area. Again, I don't want you to hear that as, as something that's intimidating or something that makes you think, gosh, every time I mess up, am I going to get blighted or whatever? That No. 16 years of negligence is taken care of in three months of repentance. It's not one-to-one. It's an incredible picture of God's mercy. They were disobedient for 16 years. On September 21st, they begin to rebuild the temple. Sometime in November, they return to God. By December 18th, he's saying, I'm about to bless you in every area of your life. Full and complete forgiveness and restoration. Not at all equivalent. 16 years versus three months. In the three months, because of God's grace and because of his mercy and his kindness, it wins. So don't hear this as something where I've got to, every time you mess up, you've got to watch out for the lightning bolt. But recognize at the same time that God does respond to the behavior of his people and that we can't compartmentalize our behavior as great as we are at justifying disobedience. At some point, we just have to acknowledge it is just disobedience. And don't believe the lie that you can keep the consequences confined to one area because we can't. But God's merciful, and he's patient, and he's kind, and he's gracious. I want you to think, is there an area of your life right now where you would say, I'm, I'm kind of digging my heels in. I'm being a little bit stubborn. There's something I feel like I need to do from the Lord, and I'm not doing it. Or there's something I need to quit, and I'm, I'm still engaging. If that's you, I want to encourage you. What does it look like for you to repent today? What does it look like for you to, in your heart, to acknowledge you've sinned? God, I've sinned. Would you forgive me? And then whatever that work looks like worked out, the people returned to God with their heart, and they started rebuilding the temple. Zacchaeus invites Jesus to his house, and then he sells, gives away half his stuff, and he pays back everybody he stole from four times as much. I don't know what that looks like for you, the outworking of repentance. John the Baptist calls it fruit in keeping with repentance. That's between you and the Lord. It's this inward heart turning that's followed up with what, however that plays out in life. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't live under the lie that you can compartmentalize, that you can somehow control these consequences of sin because you can't. Pay attention. Pay attention. God's trying to draw you back to him. Last message of, Zachari- of Haggai, excuse me. Really short ministry career, four months. But God can do a lot. In just a short amount of time. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. So that same day, December 18th, tells Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, excuse me, the governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I'll overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. So we look at that and we recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of that word. So this is Haggai's last message to the people. It really comes to Zerubbabel, who's the governor. He's the the leading Jewish official. He is not a king. There is no king uh, in Israel right now. The king is a pagan, Darius, who's a Persian because the Israelites are under Persian... um, Control. They're just a territory of the Persian Empire. 
And this word to him is really a word to the people. And we can look at it and say what's well, fulfilled in Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy. I know that you have the genealogy of Jesus memorized, and so you know Zerubbabel is in there. He's in Matthew and in Luke. He's a descendant of the family of David, which is super important. 500 years before Haggai 2, God says to David, I'm going to make a commitment, a promise, a covenant with you. You're always going to have a descendant on the throne. And that held true for 420, 430 years. But in 586, when God sent the Babylonians to destroy the city of Jerusalem, the king who was on the throne then was exiled. His name was Zedekiah. He was the 20th king in the line of David. And he was the last one. There hadn't been one since. And when we read this, we know it's not about Zerubbabel as a person, but who he represents. Jesus, who won't just in the future, on that day, when we read language like that in the Bible, we know that's speaking about the end with a capital E, that on that day, Jesus won't just again be the king of Israel, he'll be the, he'll be the king of the world. He's going to sit on the throne in the kingdom of God. But for the people in this moment, what they would have heard would have been super encouraging to them. The 19th king in the line of David, his name was Jeconiah, something like that. J-E-C-O-N-I-A-H. I'm a better speller than talker. You can decide how to say that. And what God says to him, he wasn't a great king, he was wicked. God said, if you were a signet ring, I'm kind of pulling on my wedding ring, that similar signet ring signified authority, but it also, if you had one, you hardly ever took it off. So it could signify a very precious possession. If you were a signet ring, God says to this Jeconiah, he says, I'd take you off and throw you away. That's how I feel about you. And so here, 70 years later, after there hasn't been a king for 70 years, and there hasn't been a capital for 70 years, and there hasn't been a temple for 70 years, and really there hasn't been a country for 70 years, for God to say to Zerubbabel, I'm going to treat you like a signet ring, that would say to them, ah, he remembers. He remembers. For there to be a king on the throne again, it means that the Persians have been overthrown. It means the city has been rebuilt and restored. It means the population that's spread out all over Egypt and all over Babylon, they've all come back. We're a nation again. Look what God has done. There's all kinds of things that are, that are communicated, unspoken, in saying there's going to be a king on the throne again. God is a promise-keeping God. He doesn't always keep his promises in the timing that we would like. And the fulfillment doesn't always necessarily look like what we thought, maybe even hoped, the fulfillment would look like. But he never forgets. And for some of you this morning, that's all you need to hear. He never forgets. You, on some level, may feel like, he tossed me. He's forgotten about me. He hadn't. He hasn't. He always keeps his promises. I want to close with one final thought. You've got to grab onto one of these three. You can't do all of them. For some of you, you need to hear this word about repentance from Haggai. For some of you, you just need to re remember that God keeps his promises and allow that to Stir up hope in you. Hope is a confident expectation of a better future. And you need your hope to be restored this morning. For some of you, the thing that you need to recognize and realize is this privilege and responsibility you have as someone who's been sanctified. That's just a fancy word for being made holy. 
You've been made holy. If you're following Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. His presence within you makes you holy. Just like that meat in the fold of Jimmy's garment makes that garment holy. The Holy Spirit living within you makes you holy. And that holiness ideally is kind of quote unquote contagious in the sense that the Holy Spirit wants to work through you to sanctify the situations that you find yourself in. He wants you to recognize, hey, everywhere I go, it it can be holy ground. Everywhere I go, God goes. He goes before us absolutely, but he's present in a unique way through his people. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me to bring that sense of awareness and even that sense of holiness to the different situations that we find ourselves in. Super easy to forget that. We all struggle with sin and honestly, we don't feel very holy very often. One of the most common ways Paul refers to the churches that he writes to in the New Testament is saints or holy ones. And if you read the letters he wrote, those guys had all kinds of problems individually and corporately. This is not about your level of sinlessness. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit living within you to sanctify you, to make you holy, and then to work through you, even as we're broken in dirty vessels so much of the time. What does it look like for you? I want you to just begin to think about the week you have coming up. What would it look like for you? Think about some of the situations you're going to encounter, whether they're kind of mundane and daily, or maybe you're thinking of some, some, some significant conversations and meetings you're going to have this week. What would it look like for you to say, you know what? The Holy Spirit lives within me. He's declared that I'm holy. And so I have a privilege and a responsibility in this situation to sanctify it, not by being self-righteous, not by being legalistic, not by being more... Uh, moralistic, not by being judgmental, but by allowing the, the, the love and the grace of God to flow through me. Jesus says that we're to be holy like he's holy. And remember his, what his holiness looked like. People called him a drunkard and a glutton, friend of tax collectors and sinners. It wasn't this austere, um, ascetic, pulled back, judgmental, shunning kind of holiness. It was an embracing of life and of people. For some of us, we think holiness, we think of rules, don't think of Jesus. Someone fully devoted to God. That's what it means to be holy, set apart for. So what would it look like for you, fully devoted to him, to begin to engage in these situations, whether it's checking out at Kroger or having a significant conversation with a coworker? maybe having a difficult talk with a family member, what does that look like for you? To say, God wants to use me to make this situation holy, to sanctify it. Doesn't mean necessarily that everybody involved becomes a Christian. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're preaching the gospel. What it means is there's a recognition that God lives within you. And what's in you, he wants to kind of, quote, infect others with the holiness that's in you by the Holy Spirit. God desires for that to leak out of you onto the other people that you're engaging with. How does that change things that when you're posting on social media, if you think this is an opportunity to, if you can imagine, to sanctify this cesspool, that's my responsibility is to do that and my privilege. 
got a couple of minutes. I want, to, want you to pray with me, if you will. Those are three big things, and you can only grab onto one of them. It's too much otherwise. Which one of those resonates the most with you? What do you n- most need to be encouraged or challenged by this morning? Do you need to repent? I would ask you to pray really simply. Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Show me the offensive ways, the anxious thoughts that I have. If you bring something up, confess. I confess this to you and I pray that you would forgive me. Would you show me what it looks like to walk out this repentance? Maybe as simple as apologizing to somebody you've cut off or held a grudge against. It may, I don't know, just ask him. For some of you, you came in this morning defeated and deflated. And what you need to hear is God keeps his promises. He hadn't thrown you away. If that's you, would you this morning just acknowledge, God, would you stir hope within me? I want to have a confident expectation of a better future because you're trustworthy. For many of you, it's this recognition. You're holy because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You've been declared such by God. And he wants to use you to sanctify the situations that you find yourself in. Again, don't, that's not a heavy, that can feel heavy. It's not. You don't have to start speaking in King James English. It doesn't mean you can never mess up again. It's none of that. It's just the reality of the Holy Spirit in you being released into the situations that you find yourself in. And for most of us, it's just as simple as acknowledging that reality. Just that simple. Before the meeting, God, you live within me. That means I'm set apart. I'm holy. I'm set apart by you and for you. And I pray you'd use me now in this meeting to encourage and to bless the person I'm talking to. That's simple. That's it. Holy Spirit, would you apply the truth to each one of us? And would you give us grace to walk out that truth in faithfulness and fruitfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond for you to come forward and kneel. Sometimes that outward response is really great at kind of solidifying something in our heart. So we've got some spaces here. You can come and kneel at one of these blue pieces of tape. And if you do, uh, we have some ministry teams that are going to come around and put a hand on your back. Every one of them has had their temperature checked, and they all pass that test, and they'll be wearing a mask. Um, so you can feel uh, comfortable that if somebody's praying for you, they're, they're taking those precautions. You may want to stay in your seat and pray, and that's fine as well. But I do want to encourage you. There is something about a physical response. Again, think about even in Haggai, you build a building and your heart returns to God. There's something about making a response with our bodies that kind of solidifies something in our heart. I don't want to manipulate you, but I do want to encourage you. So uh, those of you who feel uh, led, come forward. And uh, the rest of you can uh, hang out in your seat, spend some time with the Lord working through the stuff we've talked about, and Bo will dismiss us in about two or three minutes. Thanks.